first of all, at Thompson & Morgan, we worked on the tomtato, which is tomatoes on the top, potatoes on the bottom. And this was this was not a new concept. This was They used to do it during the war to kind of uh, make the most of space because you've got two crops in one, in one pot. Hello, hello, one and all, and welcome to episode 26 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener, freelance writer and garden speaker from Gloucestershire in the UK. This podcast is produced with the help of my sponsor, the lovely Genus Gardenware. Genus are based in the beautiful Cotswold countryside, and their range is designed by keen gardeners who understand how the right sort of clothes can make gardening more comfortable and even more enjoyable. As you all know, gardening is about kneeling and bending, stretching and walking and being outdoors in all weathers and all seasons. The clothes gardeners wear have to work for all activities and in all conditions, and this is what Genus Gardenware are experts at. Have a look at what they've got to offer by visiting genus.gs. My guest today is Michael Perry, better known to some of you as Mr Plant Geek. Michael is a TV presenter, a real-life social media influencer, a traveller, and also describes himself as a hortpreneur. At the recent 2022 GardenCom Media Awards, Michael won Best Podcast for his plant-based podcast with Ella Mary and their editor Gareth Patch. He won Best Television Feature for Channel 4's Steph's Pat Lunch and Best Website for MrPlantGeek.com. Michael Perry, good morning. Morning. How morning. Yeah, very well, Michael. I mean, lovely to, to you know, manage to pin you down at one of your busy days. Well, this is a quiet day for you, but you're always busy, aren't you? Uh, I guess so, yeah. I guess uh, September and October has been insatiably busy and lots of kind of biggish projects that all seem to happen at the same time, which almost wasn't ideal because sometimes you want a bit of space in between, not not just for yourself, but also kind of for social media because then people are like, you're doing this, then you're doing this, you're doing this. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> just yeah. love doing stuff. <laughs> now, a lot of people in the business will know you, Michael, um, but let's assume there's a few out there, mm. unbelievable, that don't know you. Um, no, I never assume that everyone knows. No, I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. No, um, let, let's just quickly run through, because you have told the story a few times, but one, one thing that does interest me is, you know, you started off in a fantastic company, Thompson & Morgan, didn't you? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, even before that, I was interested in gardening with my grandparents, and, and I was selling my own plants at the end of the driveway, and um, I had a little herb nursery, mail-order herb nursery, and I sold the plants through little adverts in the back of Gardener's World magazine. I'm actually going to see if I can find them in the archives one day there. But <laughs> That would be brilliant, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. so I kind of then sort of drifted into college because I wasn't very confident in those days and I didn't really know what, what I could do in horticulture. So I ended up going to horticultural college anyway, which was obviously a bonus. And then after two years of, again, not knowing what I could do, I saw this competition, which was to design a garden at Thompson & Morgan, you know, the biggest mail-order plant company in the UK. And I put together a, a design and it was it was really basic. Don't for a minute think I'm a garden designer. But I filled the borders with plants that were raised in the Suffolk area. So I kind of had this little marketing spin. So uh, they selected me as the winner of the competition. And I, I didn't win a job. It wasn't that straightforward. But I actually wrote in afterwards and I asked for a job because... Strangely, in those days, I was really shy, but I, I didn't mind kind of just approaching companies cold by letter 
and just kind of asking, have you got a job? Can I do this? Can I do that? And so, it's like sending a text rather than ringing yeah, somebody, so. isn't it? Yeah, it's a, a bit easier. It's old-fashioned text, yeah. <laughs> Maybe text is a more modern letter. Yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's the way. But um, so they brought me on basically as an apprentice. And it was a role that was really molded around me. It wasn't a role that existed, obviously. And it was really my dream job from day one, because we were going out there trying to find new plants. We, we would drive to London and collect a black flower delphinium because it was different and take it back to the breeding station. Um, I had to fly to Scotland in my first week um, and pick up a star-shaped petunia. And I, I don't think I'd ever flown on my own anywhere before. And this was in the early days of EasyJet, becoming quite a, you know, an easy kind of commuting, kind of almost like a bus. But yeah, and I remember when I got there, I wasn't able to rent a car because I wasn't even old enough. So I had to get a taxi across Glasgow <laughs> to collect this petunia in a carrier bag and then take it back on EasyJet. So it was a lot of cool experiences. And I was there for 18 years and obviously, you know, rose rose up through the ranks, doing lots of different things, lots of product development. And yeah, and then w- was pushed into doing the PR and the media. And 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 I say pushed into it because I really, I, I was so shy up until my late 20s. And it was really a guy called Paul Hansord who would always encourage me and say, you can do this, you can do this. And and I was saying to Ellen at lunch the other day, you you always benefit from someone in your life who's sitting next to you irritating you pushing you to do stuff because that is you need that sometimes because you need to believe in yourself a lot more yeah and no i really thank him for that so yeah 18 years at thompson morgan obviously kind of molded me into um yeah kind of a media savvy partially so how, how long ago how long ago was it you you left thompson and morgan and went out uh, on your own yeah i think it must be coming up for six years now yeah so it's been a whirlwind and I guess I was on the cusp of like social media starting to be a thing because when I was doing QVC probably about 10 years ago now I remember setting up a Facebook account like a Facebook page where like the viewers could then follow me and I'd encourage them to follow and then I'd um what did I do I think in the early days I was um guess what color trousers I'm gonna wear it sounds really cringy now <laughs> But just kind of driving them to watch the program using social media. So kind of like, yeah, I guess that made me a little bit savvy with it early on. And then, of course, when we then released different products, I was then kind of encouraging, you know, coverage. And when we released the Tom Tato or the egg and chips plant, it was then pushed out on social media as well. So, yeah, it kind of built that way. And then when I left uh, six years ago, I think it was then, uh, I really then had a good kind of bed of contacts, knowledge kind of what i could do out there as well and so yeah and i started doing some kind of like a hodgepodge that sounds like a negative word but hodgepodge in the best way like uh uh a portfolio career a bit of a patchwork okay yeah portfolio career that's it yeah and that was i actually remember in my in my last couple of months at Tom Morgan, that is what I wanted to aim towards, a portfolio career, because I've got a notoriously short attention span. <laughs> and it's nice to do different, and I think it keeps you fresh to do lots of different projects, lots of different, um, some stuff that's industry, some stuff that's consumer as well. So yeah, and then I've been six years kind of just doing whatever comes up really, and never having much of a bigger master plan, because I don't believe in these five-year plans. I think it's much better to sit in the moment, be reactive, and that is how you kind of um, go down these different avenues and do new experiences, and that's how you push yourself a lot more. I think I think when you've got a five-year plan, it's almost like 
you, you know, you don't do your homework until Sunday, 9pm. And I think that's the same with a five year plan. <laughs> so I tend to like not do that and just sit and be reactive. And, and it and it kind of works. And social media is a showcase for me as much as it is for followers. It's a visual CV. And, yeah. and it works well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've, I've often admired the, those people who have these plans, you know, and because mm. you, ha- you then have a sort of a, 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 a route, to, a map, don't you, to stick to. I but, admire them if they follow them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it certainly never suited me. I, I remember being yeah. quite in my early 20s. Life was so exciting. I, yeah. I, even then I was saying, this is great. I don't know what I'll be doing tomorrow. You know, yeah, it's yeah. so exciting. And of course, you know, if I'd had a plan, I would have known exactly and it would have been very boring. Mm. And I was speaking to, we had a photo shoot yesterday I was, and I was speaking to somebody there. And, you know, if, if you're a photographer or a model, you're, you're all of these things. Um, then, um, uh, you know, you, you do, you, you move around, you're never on the same, yeah, the yeah, same yeah. site each day. And, and it's so exciting, you know, working like that. Um, it's not for everyone, I guess. Some people do enjoy the routine. They like that stability and, and it's good because if we were all the same, it would be a it would be a bumbling mass of lots of people trying to do different things every day. Yeah, and I know there's a lot to be there's a lot to be said for it, you know, because there yeah. are people who you know we have these amazing head gardeners who stick at a garden and work mm. every day just yeah. creating these fantastic gardens. I mean, if they were moving around every six months, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd hate to think what we'd end up with, you know. <laughs> um, so yes, we, we we need all sorts. I, I think that's true. Um, now, when I when I introduced you, I introduced you as Michael Perry. Now you're Michael Perry. AKA Mr. Plant Geek, but also <laughs> I, sh- I should have also introduced you as uh, Michael Perry, the man from the telly. Because um, you tell you that much. Well, you've been doing a bit more than most people, yeah. haven't you? You've, it was it, with Steph at lunchtimes, isn't it? Yeah, so Steph's Pat Lunch, I've worked with a lot over the last couple of years since, since the series started. Um, ITV this morning, um, and QVC is probably the most regular gig on the weekends. So, yeah, but. Do you know what? Whenever you do anything for a while, it just becomes quite normalised, really. And yeah, so yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Right now, let's get on to the book. People want to hear about this book, this amazing book that's come out. Now, I'm going to have to have a quick change. You'll see why. Is this reading glasses? Sunglasses. No, sunglasses. <laughs> because look at that book. I don't, do you know what? When I saw the first sample, it was brighter than I imagined it would be. <laughs> it's, it's mad, isn't it? Absolutely mad. Yeah. For, for those that I'm holding the book up to show Michael the book that he's written, so I'm sure he knows what it is. But uh, it's, I suppose you call that, is that shocking pink on the front? Yeah, I'm um, not sure the Pantone, but. Yeah. But, and, really... then, and then you open it up and, and the inner covers yeah. are this green. Now, yeah, I've, actually, yeah. I've actually looked into it, Michael, and. and Students of colour might know from the colour wheel that these two colours are directly opposite each other on the colour wheel. You know, mm. so that although they're opposite, they're actually complementary colours. Yeah, because yeah. of that, they make each other ping that much yeah, more. Definitely. And um, this book is not one you're going to lose in the uh, bookcase, is it? <laughs> no, <laughs> true. Where's Michael's book, Hortus Curious? <laughs> mm, you know, it's going to jump out at you. <laughs> I'll take my sunglasses off now. But, uh, yeah, no, absolutely amazing. I, I should think when that dropped through your letterbox, you must have been, wow. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I mean, I've written a book, but there's uh, that's only a small part of it, you know, because the illustrations, you know, 50% of it is, is nothing to do with me because this is Aaron Apsley from Florida, done a great job. And also, of course, DK, Dorling Kindersley. And it was, 
it was probably the most, I don't know, serendipitous that I would work with them when they're the books that I poured over when I was a child. You know, my favorite type of books, you know, these ones with the diagrams and it's all yeah. set in a white background, just amazing. So I really was guided by them every step of the way because, you know, if, if I'd had my personal preference, I probably wouldn't have put this amorphous phallus on the front. I probably would have been, oh no, let's have something more unusual. But of course they release books every time, every, every week, you know, almost. So I really took their guidance also with the title as well. And of course, with that shocking pink color. And I'm really, really thankful that I work with a publisher that has that experience to do that. And of course, look, on the back, you've got all these unique, they kind of almost look cartoon-like, don't they? Because you've yeah. got the Calcellaria that looks like an alien, uh, Palacoria, which is like the big lips. Big, big fat lips. Palacoria, coffee, yeah. what's that, trap. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. amazing. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, they know what they're doing, don't they? And I think yeah. you're right to leave it to them because I think if you, anybody sees that in a bookshop, yeah. gardener, oh, gardener or not, I think they're going to reach for it. Well, do you know what? You're right. And the design for me, um, kind of, I didn't set out that way. But as I wrote it, I realized that kind of my real vision for the book was that anybody could pick it up and be interested in plants because it's quite digestible. It's kind of for individual stories about plants. And it's it's written in a kind of really lighthearted way. It's tr not trying to... I'm not trying to prove my knowledge or kind of prove any clever botany or anything because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm nothing near a botanist. I'm just, I'm just a guy that loves plants and loves sharing plants with people, really, you know. So I really wanted it to be that kind of translation of botany into everyday speak, which, which I don't know if, if many things like that are out there. You know, I know um, Chris Farragut, I love how he writes and how he puts stuff together. He's I've got his book, yeah. Closest to it, yeah, definitely. But you kind of, because sometimes botany can be very serious. And, and for me, I needed to learn the botany as I wrote the book, but I guess because I just learned it and then I was translating it, how I understand plants and how I understand talking to people about plants and kind of, yeah, that's where you've got a few Hollyoaks references and Iron Brew is mentioned somewhere as well. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. So, it's split into, what is it, four or five chapters. So you've got plants behaving badly, mistaken identity, greater good, yeah. superheroes, and X-rated. Mm. So, I mean, immediate, immediately I'm going to flick straight to the back pages. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is why I, I love books like this, because you can pick it up and you can flick. To, you don't have to start at the beginning yeah, that's and work thing. your way through. There's something for everyone. I am known for actually for being one of those people that do the opposite quite often. I will literally start at the front of the book. I will mm -hmm. go through it. I will read the ISBN number, I will go yeah. through every single page. Um, so, and yet, <laughs> I also like to do this and flick, oh, that's interesting, you know, and, yeah. and you can do, do that with it. It's a nice kind of just casual pickup, maybe coffee table book, it'd be nice in a, in a funky hotel reception. Yeah, yeah, it'll be brilliant. Also, somewhere else, I think it would be nice. And probably DK wouldn't like me to say this. I think it's a nice book for the toilet. You know what? There's always a cool book in the toilet. You don't need too long, <laughs> but you need long enough. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, oh, I'm just going to read about peanuts, you know. Oh, it's yeah. only 200 words. I can do that easily. <laughs> and find out a few facts to take yeah. back to the dinner party. No, you're right. You're right. I yeah. couldn't agree more. Yeah. Easy to digest. That was what I always wanted to do and not be too kind of um, 
like too serious with the hordes. And, you know, even in what I do with a lot of my work that you see across this whole mixed portfolio, it's not, not being too serious because I think kind of we can take ourselves too seriously as horticulture sometimes. And I think that is the thing that sometimes represents the barrier for people kind of coming into our world. And, and yeah, of course, when, when they're in our world, we need to teach them the right techniques and this and that, but kind of to recruit them and bring them into the world. You don't have to bring them in in serious ways. You know, it could be they're coming in because they wanted to be a plant daddy or a plant mama or something that is frivolous and silly. But once they're in our world, we've recruited them. We make it sound like a cult there, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're in, you'll never I leave. You get yeah. what I mean, though. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, having this book in a hotel, and that sort of fits mm. in with, with what I was first going to mention, which is the pyromaniac plant. Ah, Dictamnus, yeah. Dictamnus albus purpureus. Yeah, now, there, now you can. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because I, I worked at the hotel. Barnsley House used to belong to Rosemary Veary. It was then turned oh, into a wow. boutique hotel. But we had this plant in the garden. You worked there. Yeah, and, but we called it the, the three musketeer plant. You know, it's Dictam, Dictamnus albus purpureus or mm. uh, Athos, Porthos and Aramis. You know, it's, <laughs> it fitted in quite well. But, but uh, did it yeah. ever catch fire? We never caught fire, and I was never tempted to put a lighter to it to check. I wish I had, but, you know, we only had one, and they, they're not widely available, are they? Well, they're not. They're, I think it's because they have a really big tap root, and so they're quite difficult to transport, so you're probably not going to see them in the nursery industry that often. But I do know that uh, Tamsin has got quite a few seedlings, I believe. Ah, has she? Yes, That's Tamsin Westhorpe, for anybody that doesn't know. Who's at, yeah, um... yeah, Anyone that wants to message her and ask for the seedlings, all do it now. Yeah, yes. <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a really cool plant, and and it was really interesting with a lot of the book when I was then researching and this and that. It was that you tend to think, oh, plants. We know everything about plants. You know, everyone's written all the books. But Dictamnus, for example, there were there were various schools of thought as to why it has this flammability, and it was kind of you know some were like it's to um, to create a little forest fire around the plant to protect it to burn off the competition. Other people were kind of, uh, or other scientists rather, were saying it was then, you know, a leftover of kind of like the chemical process. So it was, it was not always decided why these plants do what they do, even though yeah. they do incredible things. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's interesting. One, um, it's not in the book, but I was um, at Wakehurst yesterday, and they had a lovely border of Physostegia. Yeah, you know, with the with the hinges. Was it the obedient plant? Yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And even I, I don't think anybody knows why it has these yeah. hinges. Even why. <laughs> So it's just, it's just crazy sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Now, let's move on a little bit to um, plants yeah. behaving badly. And sure. um, this is probably the, the entry-level model that a lot of people start with, and that's the yeah. Venus, Venus flytrap. Now, a lot of people will know what we're talking about, the Venus flytrap. But interestingly, it seems, and I've heard this before, but you, you confirmed mm -hmm. it, it seems to be a plant that can sort of count it, yeah, yeah. It, no, you know, what, for those that may have brought, just heard of it a little bit, it's a plant that if a fly or a spider enters into this, the open, I'm calling them leaves, it's probably the wrong word, it will snap shut and trap them and then dissolve them and use the nutrition to grow. But tell us about the way it sort of seems to be able to count. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, when I, I, it was an obvious one to write about the Venus flytrap, but I didn't want to kind of max out too much on the fact it eats things. But I wanted to kind of tell people about the counting. So, yeah, you've got these like tiny little hairs inside that you can just about see on the illustration, actually. 
and they, they need to be triggered twice in about 20 seconds before the trap actually chooses to close. And so it could be, you know, a spider dangling across. It could be a, you know, a fly darting about because we always say fly trap, but they actually eat spiders, grasshoppers, ants, you know, any different creatures. And so the, the trap then closes if those hairs are triggered twice in that 20 second period. And then the, that it's not over then. It's not going to eat the insect quite yet. The insect then will obviously wriggle around trying to get free. And if it gets free, that's great because it can slip out the side. But if it actually triggers those hairs another five times, the trap then knows it's got a good meal because there's something quite big in there. So then it pushes together the base of the lobes of the leaf and then it makes a stomach that then digests the insect. And of course, if, if it isn't an insect, if it doesn't catch the insect, if the insect escapes or it doesn't trigger those hairs, it just opens and lets that insect go because it's not a big enough meal, you know. I feel the same when you've got measly starters at, you know, your Weatherstones or something. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lesson there, yeah. What a big deal. <laughs> um, let's go on to um, plants for the greater good. Now, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to bring this one up because I know it's one of yeah. your favourite subjects. In fact, I think I've already seen you with coffee. one or it. So the coffee, exactly. <laughs> yes, coffee. Um, coffee Arabica, its Latin name, um, which is it, it's sort of a, it's berry, it grows like berries, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole kind of chapter of greater good was to, to help people understand where where things come from you know a lot of people are like pineapples how do they grow are they underground or this or where is tea tea's a camellia i didn't know that so that is really what this chapter is all about so yeah indeed coffee grows from kind of cherries almost so you get these collection of cherries that kind of like dress the stems even before then the flowers are amazing they're like jasmine flowers and very highly fragrant as you've well you've been to see them growing have you I have seen coffee uh, when I did a trek in India, actually. Yeah, and it was amazing. And a lot of great coffee is grown in shade these days as well, which is a lot more natural conditions. And then it's got uh, much more of a kind of more biodiverse habitat that it's growing in. But it's amazing because those cherries, you can't mechanize this at all because they actually ripen all at different times. So this can only be harvested by hand. Yeah, and when you've then got the cherries, you then squeeze out the beans and they like lay out to dry, then they get roasted, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's an amazing plant. And to write about it and for people, oh, I've, I've got pictures of the flowers on there as well. That's cool. Oh, yes, yeah, but yeah. I talk about the whole kind of coffee, you know, kind of what we know about how it kind of came to be as well. And yeah, just different ways that it's used. And, and I actually point out that, <clears throat> what have I got? Six different ways of making coffee in my own free bed semi. <laughs> so you can see the book is, it's not just about botany, it's not just about plants, but it's about, I don't know, how I approach plants as well, kind of just funny little stories and this and that, and just, I want it to feel warm and homely, you know? Yeah, well, each little, <laughs> these little funny stories on the side, each little chapter yeah. has a little story, often in a bolder print, and, and I love the yeah, one which yeah. I, I have heard of, but not, over, not everybody will have heard of, is the, the wild Kopiluak coffee, which is <laughs> eaten, eaten by wild civets, who then crap it out and then it's collected isn't it yeah absolutely and you can get this in <laughs> barley actually yeah so it goes through i think it's going to do the acids in the in the stomach kind of then change the flavor in the coffee so yeah once it comes out the other end it's obviously washed out from the poop and then used <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant yeah if you didn't know about it you didn't know you know you're given a, a cup of it and 
Who knows yeah. how it's processed? <laughs> you, you touched on pineapple there, and I don't know whether you know, mm. but you, you've got to stay at this place. You might have seen it. Um, there's there's a, 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 an organization called the Landmark Trust who look after very old, ancient buildings. And one of their buildings is in the shape of a pineapple. Okay. It's, it's a oh, six, no, probably 17th or maybe 18th century building that was sort of like a, I don't know whether it was a folly or a gatehouse to the bigger yeah. mansion. And you can stay in this pineapple. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, Peanuts. I mean, I love peanuts. I've yeah. always got peanuts here. I like mixing them with my uh, regular nuts uh, so they're not too salty. But <laughs> And I, I knew peanuts grew underground. Mm. I had absolutely no idea how they got underground. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. They just kind of pull, pull, pull themselves down once the yeah. flower is fertilised. So yeah. what happens? The flower gets fertilised and does it sort of send down these little tendrils or something? That... Yeah, then kind of almost then goes, uh, pushes itself downwards and then kind of develops underground and kind of anchors itself. And then the um, uh, first time I actually saw peanuts for real was when I was in Japan and they were all drying by the side of the road. They'd just been pulled. So, yeah, they then need to be kind of freshed about a little bit, just dry them off. But, yeah, it's cool. And it's and it's one of those that is almost possible to grow at home in the UK. They got peanuts in the borders at um, Hyde Hall, actually, ah. in Edible Garden. Yeah, I, I think he said they sometimes will get a crop there because obviously you need it to be quite warm generally. But yeah, it's like this uh, subterranean kitchen garden. Yeah, oh, that's fascinating. I might try that. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the kids will love that. But one interesting thing is peanuts aren't nuts, are they? No, no, there's a lot of techie stuff around that. But yeah. they're actually, a, is it a droop? I need to read um, my book to check. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry, because I've forgotten what it said as well. But um, yeah, it, it it was it was interesting to find out that they're uh, they're, they're in the not... legume family, so they're obviously in, that's like, it. Yes, yeah, so you, yeah, I mean, you can tell by the, the you can tell by the flower, can't you? It's sort of a uh, pea-like flower, um, and also the fact they'll fix nitrogen into the soil, similar to lupins, etc. But it is it's so funny because some of these things, when it's like, oh, it's a peanut or nut or not. They sometimes those little facts go around the houses so much that you can't quite then remember what it actually is. <laughs> it's exactly. great for a pub quiz if you've got yes. a better memory. Yeah. <laughs> now, a plant that I can only assume you must be the, the world expert on, it, it's the plant you mentioned earlier, the, the egg and chips plant. <laughs> tell, tell us about that. <laughs> well, this was, uh, well, first of all, at Thompson & Morgan, we worked on the tomato, which is tomatoes on the top, potatoes on the bottom. And this was... This was not a new concept. This was they used to do it during the war to kind of uh, make the most of space because you've got two crops in one in one plot. So it's really easy to do it at home. And actually, last summer I made my own tomato, just sellotaping the potato plant to the tomato plant, and it completely works. You just grafted it, yeah, yeah, because they're in the same family, yeah. And a lot of people out there kind of, I remember when uh, Tom Tato first came out, a lot of younger people were kind of like, oh, Frankenstein food, this and that, because people don't realize that grafting kind of goes on all the time, you know, roses, fruit trees, example. So, yeah. So we kind of knew, obviously, tomatoes, potatoes, Solanaceae family. What else is in this family? Well, peppers, uh, aubergines. So, so the next step was maybe we'll put an aubergine on top of a potato. So this is kind of like ready-made moussaka. Uh, and because they're in the same family, you can do that. And we released that as egg for eggplant and chips for potato. So yeah, egg and chips plant. Uh, the tomato was called tomato in UK, but actually in the US it was called ketchup and fries. Ah. So, yeah, so it was really kind of adding that different... Um, just fun dimension, because to be honest, with a lot of the products I released over the years, 
is, yeah, I release beautiful new fuchsias or geraniums or this or that, but they wouldn't get the attention of kind of newbies to horticulture or uh, teenagers, for example, kind of those really different demographics that we don't often manage to pull in with horticulture and what we do. And But something like the egg and chips plant, they're like, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> and it works. And that's kind of really... You know, the, that was almost the criteria for the plant more than the actual plant in a way, just to yeah. kind of bring in audiences in that way. And and there's actually, you know, I'm not at Tom's Morgan now, but they're still working on different projects where you can, you know, put different solanaceae together. So the potential is is endless. And the fact that you can kind of mess around and do it yourself at home is kind of fun yeah. as well. So, yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> no, now, I mentioned earlier um, before we started uh, – recording that I might have a bit of a practical and what it is yeah. let's talk about the miracle berry ah oh you've got some right uh, well I've got some of these they're like little miracle berry tablets oh I can't remember where they came from I've had them ages and I've never tried them oh so so tell oh, us about it potent. well well <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find out I think um, you should take two I'll take two. So, <laughs> so for everybody that doesn't know, the miracle. Tell us about the miracle berry. Well, I pop some pills. <laughs> yeah, sure. So this is Cinsipalum adulsifecum. This is a tree that is native to West Africa, and the berries have a molecule inside called miraculin, and this can change the taste receptors on the tongue. So once you chew one of these berries, it will then change sour flavors to sweetness. So traditionally in West Africa, they would use it to in, enhance the flavor of palm wine or kind of like sour bread so it's a really really interesting berry but it's it's kind of always kept on the novel foods list in the eu because of course it makes things sweeter so if you actually added this to a diet you wouldn't need to eat sweetness this would really help diabetics like in japan i think in the 70s they were investigating this as a diet pill as well and so it's kind of always kept on the down low because if this was released, it would affect a lot of different industries. The bottom would literally fall out of the donut industry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, like as it is for now, it stays as a kind of novelty, kind of party trick food. So you can buy the freeze dried berries online, which I'd always recommend over your tablet form because the tablet form are not as kind of rich. But let, let's see how you go. Have you got some lemons ready? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't have lemons, so I've got some lemon juice. But no okay, sugar. No cool. sugar. Now, have I left it long enough? Yeah, if you've chewed the whole thing, yeah, yeah and you feel like your mouth is kind of coated with almost mm. this kind of like a, a, a dour sweetness, right? Mm. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're quite, they're not an unpleasant flavour, they're quite yeah. nice. Right, here yeah. we go. So I've got a shot of lemon juice. I don't hope down it, don't down it. I just hope these, sip. I'll just sip it. I hope these... Yeah. Just because uh, you had a miracle berry doesn't mean you can down lemon juice and <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's have a look. Right, um, here we go. <laughs> Well, what can I say? It makes it taste like lemon squash. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. But it's imagine what it does for sweet foods. If you've got any strawberries or anything sweet, Ooh. it makes them like the sweetest, most sickliest candy. Yes. Really, yeah, it's very interesting berry. And yeah, we, we don't use it only for kind of novelty use, really. Um, the last I heard, they were trying to breed it into tomatoes, uh, not in Japan, but some, somewhere in Asia, because then the tomatoes kind of might act as a kind of appetite suppressant almost, if you ah. have a, a meal or, yeah, but it's kind of, it's a do it's dodgy because of course it would affect a lot of different industries if everyone yeah. found out about this. <laughs> yeah, no, interesting. So yeah. um, 
do, do you sell this berry? I, I wonder whether you had it on your website or am I imagining that? No, no. I'm actually, oh. I was doing goodie bags and signed books on the website and I'm actually putting some miracle berries in those packs. Ah, okay. But not individually. The best source is called Nature's Wild Berry is the brand. And it's a guy called Hank and he's in the US and uh, it sells through Amazon and eBay and sends pretty quickly as well if you need to have a flavor tripping party. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, that, that's amazing. I'm glad I tried that. That, that, was, that was the first time. Um, let's move on from, from the edibles um, yeah. to the superheroes. Now, this was yeah. a fascinating story, the Woolamy Pine. Yes, Woolamy Pine was lost for millions of years, actually, and then just refound by some guys on a trek. Yeah. It's but it was almost lost again because then you know when we had these bushfires a couple of years ago in Australia there was also a moment a few years before that where it almost uh, got a kind of mildew as well. Oh right, and yeah. Like uh, similar to the oldest tree in the world uh, that you've got in there, the Pinus longeva. Uh, it's really they keep the location completely secret of the Wallamy pines because you know it's like they're they're protected. They're really really precious and obviously being lost for all that time. But it's really interesting because they kind of show that Australia was potentially, you know, a little bit wetter and a little bit cooler years ago because actually Wallamy pine grows super well in the UK as well. Yes. And in fact, when they when they released it into the market in, in UK and Europe, they kind of did that intentionally in order to kind of increase the populations and the numbers. But I, I think Wallamy pine is potentially a nice Christmas tree. Well, yeah, it's, it, 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 it looks the part, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And they're I really cool. Really yeah, cool. I have seen it. Um, where have I seen it? I think they've got quite a few now on Tresco in the Silly Isles. It seems oh, okay. to uh, it seems to do well. It's a little bit milder there. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not saying it needs that because I think it grows uh, quite successfully inland. Yeah, I but, think it uh, does. Yeah, you but know, uh, I've been to Tresco, but I think it was so long ago. I don't think the pine was even found then. Uh, probably, <laughs> quite possibly. Now I feel was. really old. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I was just fascinated by the story and the fact that, you know, it had it, it basically been, you know, people are still discovering new plants to this day. Oh, yeah. Well, when you've got the example of the lithops, living stones, people are still discovering new species because it's so camouflage. You can't see the thing, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, for anybody that doesn't know, lithops are a little sort of tiny... Um, I'm going to use the word cacti. I'm sure it's wrong, but they look like little pebbles, don't they? Yeah, well, a little succulent, actually, with that kind succulent, of yes. window on the top. Uh, it's in the book, too. There's loads of different types. They're really fun to grow as a kid. Really rewarding to grow from seed as well. If I could urge anyone to grow their cactus and succulents from seed, because seeing them go through that maturity is just really, really cool, and they're so easy. And um, yeah, and they let the light in through this kind of almost solar panel on the top because sometimes they might fall below below soil level. So yeah, really, really cool plants. When they flower, they've got this lovely daisy flower. And uh, the way they distribute the seeds is by raindrops because it actually relies on the raindrops to almost like um, propel the seed out of the seed pod, which is really <laughs> cool. Like, these plants are so clever. Yeah. You know, we are so dumb in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> now, for anybody listening on there, I've got to say the word A-L-E-X-A. -E mm -hmm. um, now is the time to ask mother-in-law to leave the room because I want to ask Michael about the vulva vine. Oh, are we at the back of the book now? <laughs> We're getting towards about this. this is the X-rated plant, the vulva vine. <laughs> its Latin name, Michael. Oh, don't set me up for it. Clitoria. Clitoria. <laughs> 
Ternatia. And then I'm the one that gets beeped. Yes, yeah. Beep. So why is it called the vulva vine, Michael? Uh, because it looks like a clitoris. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do you know what? Um, like looking into the history, there were certain kind of botanists and kind of people in charge who didn't almost want to call it that because they were too prudish. <laughs> so funny how it could be like that. But it's a really fascinating part. It was quite difficult to pin down where this was from because it's actually kind of naturalized in so many different continents that it was quite hard to see where it actually derived in the first place. But it's another plant in like the peanut family that will fix nitrogen into the soil, which is a good thing. But also, I've grown it in the UK as a summer climber, and it worked really well. It doesn't flower until very late, so we're talking like Cabea scandens kind of time. But it's really rewarding because you've got that gorgeous blue. And it flowers a lot sooner than Austeria would, to be honest. <laughs> yes, you haven't got to wait five yeah. years. <laughs> I know, and very leafy, the flower. Not only does it look great, but it's got amazing blue coloring in there, which is great for coloring different food dishes. It's got different medicinal qualities in there as well. And um, interestingly, um, they use it to make a gin uh, and you can also make a clitoria tea. And when the acid of like the tonic goes in or when you put in lemon, if you're making a hot cup of tea, it then changes color from blue through to pink. So it's kind of like make a magic cup of tea. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Michael, I think we've given people a taste oh, of what's, yeah. That's of what's, really, what's really in the book. Now, I think one thing we haven't m mentioned that we must mention, you did touch on it earlier. You mentioned Ellen, Ellen Mary, your, mm -hmm. your psychic for your podcast. Is, are you still running the podcast? I, I haven't listened to many for a while. Yeah, yeah, of course. We just yeah. uh, started New Series season. 9 yeah. on uh, Sunday. And it's kind of like a bit of a Q mini series because we interviewed four different people in different like uh, locations, departments at Q. So we talked to Helena in the veg garden. We were in the orchid house, Alpine. So it's really, really cool. And that is throughout October. So yeah, we're really, we're really proud of it. And it's just, it's just us kind of getting excited about plants and yeah. never, too, never too serious, but still, you know, the good amount of knowledge at the same time. No, it's great fun. I mean, I remember when you first started off, I mean, you've spoken to well, it's first of all, it's called the plant-based podcast, isn't it? And yeah. you spoke you spoke to a bodybuilder, a, a sort of a, a bodybuilder, uh, a vegetarian yeah. bodybuilder, isn't he? That was yeah. fascinating because it is plants from every kind of angle. So it's not it's not like a gardening podcast. It's not a vegan podcast. It's kind of about plants. So it's people that eat plants, people that drink plants, people that grow plants, people that wear plants as well, people that use plants for fuel, you know, anything that comes back to plants. So that is right across growing them and the diet of plants as well. So, you know, because Ellen's vegan, I'm not, you know, there's differences between us. And yeah, we just go out there and have fun talking to a range of interesting people because, you know, I don't know about you, but the last few years for horticulture, it feels like it's been golden, you know, yeah, and there's so much increased interest in plants and every aspect of it. And so, yeah, it's really, it's fun and we love chatting to people. So that's the plant-based uh, plant based podcast for anybody that wishes to listen. If they want to know any more about you, you are on social media. What's the best channels? Do you have websites and so on? Yeah, so Instagram is Mr. Underscore Plant Geek. That is the same on Twitter as well. Um, I find that I kind of appeal to different people in different places because I've got quite a Facebook following, which tends to be a different type of audience as well. So you, you'll find me there. So whatever kind of suits you, I'll be there. Uh, what kind of uh, almost stitches it all together is my website, mrplunkgeek.com, where we actually refresh that with lots of interesting articles from time to time and kind of 
There's a bit of a compendium of info on there as well, which kind of helps with a few gardening terms, kind of what plant do I put here? What do I plant do I put there? And yeah, and I'm soon going to start getting into Substack a little bit as well, which is, yeah, talking about kind of a lot of my new plant kind of um, trend ideas and discoveries and kind of wonderingments. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think Substack sub is interesting because I think horticulture mm. within Substack is, is sort of an underutilized uh, yeah, area yeah. there. So I think I think that would go down very well, definitely. Um, yeah. did, and also did, you're in control of it too, because like with Instagram and Facebook, you're relying on the algorithm to push your content forward. With Substack, people will subscribe to you. It's a newsletter. Yes. Know? So it's direct in their inbox, stuff they want to hear about, and you, you're in control, which is good. Did you ever make it onto TikTok? I, yeah, but I never quite invested enough in it. So because I guess when Instagram Reels came along, that is doing the same thing. And I kind of, if I repurpose something for one platform for another, I always feel a bit cheap, like I'm kind of cheating. So <laughs> I almost like try not to do that. So yeah. no. what about you? Well, I, I, I haven't. I haven't even downloaded the TikTok app yeah. because I, I see how addictive my children get to it. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I don't want to go there. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I mean... It's cool. I mean, I could, um, yeah, maybe, but it's just, I want, I want to do something distinctive when I'm there. And those things, even though they're very short, they deceptively take a lot of time to set up and you have to do something that's very different and eye catching. And yeah. at the moment, all I've got for that is different outfits. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best I've got. <laughs> yeah. Michael, thanks for your time. Of um, course. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to pin you down. And, uh, Good luck with the book. I know it's been out for a few weeks already, but... Um, no, I, only a week. Yeah. Oh, it's just a week now. Although I don't yeah. know when your podcast is going out, but it's a week today that it's been out. Yeah, I've no doubt yeah. it'll do very well. Um, obviously, the publishers aren't silly. They release it this time of year because there's a certain big Christian festival coming yeah, up in, in December. in the stocking. Yeah, wouldn't that, that, that would definitely fit in a pillowcase, <laughs> in a pillowcase if not a stocking, yeah. So, uh, no, I wish you the best of luck with that, and thanks for your time. Thank you very much. How great was that? Michael's got so many stories to tell and is a great ambassador for gardening, plants and horticulture in general. Do take a look at his website, mrplantgeek.com. I can be found at joffelfic.co.uk as well as on Instagram. Don't forget I travel most weeks to garden clubs and please, if you haven't yet had a look, pop over to genus.gs and see how you can transform your gardening experience by wearing clothes specifically designed by gardeners for gardeners. In the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your Venus flytrap well fed and your garden as colourful as Michael's new book. I'll see you next time.